Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Please follow along with me as I read. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, that was much better. I was, uh, I was thinking about this week, and uh, I am not, I don't envy the position where you are in. Uh, you, you not only you have to vote on me, or not to vote on me, either way you're going to vote. Uh, but you have to vote on deacons and people joining the church, which is also exciting. But um, there is no pressure about this sermon, not at all. Uh, the pressure was a few days ago when my daughter said to me, Dad, I, I heard that uh, there's going to be some voting in the church. And is that true they're going to vote on you? And I had to tell her, yeah, they're going to vote on me. And I said, but don't worry about it, honey. You know, and God is in control. And, and she said, Dad, don't mess it up. So, so this sermon, pff, piece of cake. No. I have, uh, I have often said that I got really nervous playing basketball, uh, both in college and overseas. And uh, I, do, I do get nervous when I get up here because it's a higher responsibility. Um, and I've told my wife that if, if there was a day that I don't get nervous about doing this, then there's either something wrong with me or it is the time for me to move on. So here's, here's what I have for you. You don't vote on me today because you like me or because I'm wearing a new shirt that my daughter picked up for me. <laughs> you vote on me because you believe that the direction God is taking you is what the leadership is offering you, okay? So let's pray and we'll, we'll get started. I'm looking forward to it and uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We know that this day was a day that was made by you, for you. And we thank you, Father, for Jesus, for the empty tomb, the celebration of last week. Thank you so much for the reminders that we belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> On December 27, 1927, USSS-4 sunk in the coast of Massachusetts. It collided against a Coast Guard vessel and it sunk about 110 feet down into the ocean. On December 28th, Divers began to dive in to see what was the condition, if people were still alive or not. And, and they began, once they found the ship, they began to actually tap on the outside of the vessel to see if somebody on the inside would respond. 
And all of a sudden, a sound came from the inside of the vessel, and it was through Morse code, and the, 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 the statement was this, is there hope? Is there hope? To which the divers replied, there is hope, we are doing everything possible. While they came out of the water, they began to map out a plan of how they're going to rescue those 40 men. They were divided into two different compartments. 34 of them were in one side, six of them were in the other. And they came out with an idea of hooking up an airline to the ship to be able to provide air enough so they could be able to lift the ship up from the water. But 63 hours later, they went down to do this plan and there was no response. Now, sometimes to hope in human help is to expect something that is not able to be accomplished. On the other side, to hope in God is to understand that in Him we can expect with confidence that what He says not only can, but will come true. Last week, Dr. Hoffett's last principle in his resurrection sermon said this, Christ's resurrection grants meaning to our faith and in a prospect of hope for the future. This is a segue of what 1 Peter actually teaches us. But before we dive into this text, I want to answer two questions. The first one is this. What is biblical hope? Okay, what is biblical hope? Biblical hope is the confident expectation in what God has promised and its strength in his faithfulness, which means that human hope depends on me and divine hope depends on him. John Piper, and you have this quote on the bottom of your paper, said this, Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Which means biblical hope has moral certainty in it. When the word says hope in God, it does not mean cross your fingers. It means, to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. Now listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 23, 18. He says this, Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now the New Testament idea of hope is the recognition that in Jesus is found the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, especially the promises related to hope. The one who would bring hope and that is exactly what Peter is going to say when he describes this in 1 Peter 1, 3. Look with me in your Bibles if you can, if you have them open. 1 Peter 1, 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth. So this is something God gave us, a new birth, into a living hope. Even though Jesus was buried he didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay on the tomb. He was resurrected. This is a living hope. And that's the same idea, to be born again into this living hope. The other question that comes up is, why is hope necessary? And why is hope necessary for the readers? Why is, why is Peter ref referring to hope right now? And in, in, in the most simple 
way that I can explain to you what hope means is this. That hope is necessary because without hope, life literally loses its meaning. Without hope, life doesn't make any sense. Lamentations 3.18 says this, My endurance has expired. I have lost all hope of deliverance from the Lord. Job 7.6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. When Peter writes this letter, he's writing to an audience who has been suffering because they're being persecuted for their faith, they're not being persecuted because somebody gave them the thumbs up when they were driving on the highway. It's a little bit of different circumstance in here. So he writes to the, to the people in the northern part of Asia Minor, which is currently Turkey, and, and he writes to them and he's encouraging them to understand that there is hope even in the midst of persecution, discrimination, mistreatment. So here's what I want you to know. That in the midst of their suffering and their persecution, Peter's going to offer them something and he's going to offer us something. And what he's going to offer is this, that hope in Jesus can bring growth in holiness. Now, 1 Peter 1.13, this is our text for today. You have on your outline the first main point. The new goal that Peter's going to establish is to set our hope completely on God's grace now the text reads like this, Therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Right? Now, let me explain something about this text. When we read this in the Net Bible, there seems to be two commands in here. Right? The first one is, get your minds ready for action. The second one would be, a little bit to the end of this verse, where it says, set your hope Completely. To set our hope completely is the only imperative here. It's actually the first imperative that Peter has given in 13 verses. Okay? And to set our hope completely or to, 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 to be hopeful is a commandment. But how do we do this? It's by the two participles that Peter is going to use. One of them is to get our, our minds ready for action and the other one is to be fully sober. Okay, so let's, let's go through, through this really quickly. He's going to start this section with the word therefore. And you've heard this from Pastor David. Every time you see this word, you have to connect automatically what, with what he said before. All right? So this means that whatever we see moving forward depends on what Peter has already stated in the previous section. Peter does that intentionally because he wants his readers to know that they cannot hope, listen to this, they cannot hope in Jesus and grow, and grow in holiness without being grounded in the foundation of his work and his word. I'm going to repeat that to you. They cannot, and you and I cannot, grow or hope in Jesus and grow in holiness without being grounded in the foundation of his work and his word. Now, let me give you some reasons to hope. I'm going to summarize 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12 in a few statements, okay? You can just follow through along on your Bible with me, but this is what it says. Verse 1, it says that God has chosen us. God has chosen us. Verse 2, God has set you apart by the Spirit. 
Verse 2, God has cleansed you by the blood of Jesus. Verse 3, God has given us a new birth into a living hope. Verse 4, God has given us an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. Verse five, 4 and 5, God reserved and protected with his power this inheritance for you in heaven. Verse 6, salvation brings you joy even in the midst of trials. Verse 7, trials will increase the character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold. Verse 8 and 9, even though you have not seen him, you believe him. This is expectation in the future. And then he goes through this amazing list where the prophets are cited. And he says that the prophets wrote those things to you knowing, listen to this, doesn't even make sense, knowing that they would not be able to see the completion of hope in Jesus during their time. But they wrote to us so that we could hope in the completion of the things we celebrated last week. Now, if you wrote a letter to someone who was actually struggling, you would not start the letter by telling them what to do. You would tell them things that would encourage them, that would maybe bring motivation. And then by doing that, you would actually tell them, maybe you need to do certain things to get out of that place. And this is what Peter does. God has chosen us. He has given us a living hope. Your, your inheritance is imperishable, undefiled. So to hope completely, which Peter goes on to describe, means to to have an assured and perfect expectation. As someone has said, it means to set our hope perfectly, listen to this, perfectly, unchangeably, without a doubt. Now, let's be honest here. We all set our hopes on something, right? Students set their hopes on graduation, from college, from high school, for maybe getting a master's degree, a PhD degree. Doctors hope to get their residency in. Men set their hopes on having a nice car, having a nice bank account. Ladies, you, you probably set your hopes, or girls, if, you are, if you're not married, you will see this to be true. You will set your hopes on, on the wedding day on marrying a guy who is nice and kind, who is good with kids, who is romantic. I mean. God is still working in me. I'm a work in progress. Political candidates, we just saw this. They set their hopes on winning the election. It doesn't matter the cost. Athletes set their hopes on winning the prize making more money, winning MVPs, signing a shoe deal, and perhaps being on the cover of a magazine, a cereal box, or a movie cover. Like when I was a teenager, I set my hopes on being a basketball player. But here's the, here's the truth. There is nothing wrong about setting our hopes on things like that. Unless, now listen to this, unless... You hope for the wrong things and for the wrong reasons. 
Did you notice in this verse when Peter describes that the hope will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed is the same idea that he is described in verse 7? Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 1, 7. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold, gold that is tested by fire even though it is passing away. And will bring praise, listen to this, praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Spurgeon once said that it was to him, the believer, not a day of terror or a thunder of overwhelmed confusion, but a day of the consummation of the work of grace, a period in which Glory should crown the grace received through the first manifestation of the Lord. It was all joy to the early believers to think that the Lord's appearing. The falling stars, the darkened sun, the blood red moon, the quivering earth, the skies rolled up like an outworn vesture. vesture. All these things had no horror for them since Jesus was thus coming. Though all creation should be on a blaze, and the elements should melt with fervent heat, yet Jesus was coming, and that was enough for them. The bridegroom of their souls was on his way, and this was rapture to their expectant spirits. Now hope is not wishful thinking or wishful desires, but it is divine expectation in the completion of all things by God who promised them to us. So now, here's the question. Remember I told you there's an imperative in here. It's to set our hope in him. Now the participles are going to describe, and how do we do this? How do we set this hope on him? And the first one is, we set our hopes in him by developing a new mindset. He says, get your minds ready for action, which the best translation here would be, having your minds girded with the truth. Okay? Which... In one way is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 14 when he says, Therefore, stand firm and gird the loins of your minds with truth, right? So how do we do this? We develop a new mindset. The mind is the portion of the Christian understanding which guides and directs our conduct. And it is the mind that determination for a strenuous moral exercise begins. Literally, what Peter is asking them to do is to gird up the loins of their minds or to re literally roll up the sleeves of their minds. A commentator says that if the purpose of girding up the loins, and I guess I need to explain this to you in just a, in just a second. In the first century, men wore like long robes and... Every time they had to do an action such as work, travel, or war, they would pull their robes up, they would tie that around their waist, and it would become like, as a basketball player, a pair of shorts. Probably not as fancy as the basketball shorts. Just saying. But that would make them be able to move, to do the things that they were supposed to do. Now, listen to what this guy says. If the purpose of girding up the clothing was to put out out of the way that which would impede the physical progress of an individual, the girding up of the loins of the mind would be putting out of the mind all that would impede the free action of the mind in, connecting, in connection with the onward progress of the Christian experience. Things such as worry, fear, jealousy, hate, unforgiveness, and impurity. 
These things harbor in the mind would prevent the Holy Spirit from using the mental faculties of the Christian in the most efficient manner and thus from causing the believer to grow in the Christian life and make progress in his salvation. Now, we're living in really tough times where churches don't preach the truth. They don't hold to biblical convictions. They prefer to be influenced by what the world says instead of what the creator of the world says. Christian schools, as I looked around, they don't even hold to Christian values anymore. Believers prefer to be tickled with lies and to be hit with the truth. And the lack of preparation in our minds, in our faculty, mental faculty, has caused us and families to fall apart, marriages to end, professors to stop teaching the truth, morality to become inexistent, men to become weak, women to become head of the family, children to have no direction in life, and life itself to lose its meaning. And that's all because we have prepared our minds not with this. We all prepare our minds with something. This week we're trying to move into our home in Brownsburg and um, the subfloor in my laundry room and bathroom was completely rotted from the old tenants. So it was a day that God really worked in my life because the only, the only thing that I could see, and my, my grandpa used to say this, he had a white horse, it says sometimes in life you have horse vision. And it never made a lot of sense to me until I grew up, but he used to wear little things on the side here. And that would prevent the horse from seeing everything else that's happening around here, right? So you have horse vision. Well, guess what? This week I had horse vision in that bathroom. That's the only thing I could see in. That was an exercise of intellectual ability for me. But literally, my hope should not be in fixing that. My hope should be in the fixing that God has already done. We all prepare our minds with something. The question is, what is that something? Paul, when he writes to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 3, he says, set your minds on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Now, have you ever taken your car to the, to the mechanic to get an alignment then? Let me ask you this, why do you do that? You do that so your car will drive straight. Right? That's the goal, right? So you can take your hands off from the wheel, eat some snacks on the road. No, do not do that. <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys are not sleeping yet. You do that so the car can drive straight. What Peter is saying, listen, you need to do a mental alignment with him. You need to take your mental faculties before the Lord and say, God, I need an alignment from you. So that's number one. Number two, you do that by establishing a new focus. And the, the new focus is to being fully sober. Like the Greek word here really means to be calm and collected in spirit, to be temperate, to be dispassionate. 
And Peter is going to use this here to express that the proper exercise of the mind in which this, the individual is self-control and able to see things without distortion caused by worry, fear, and their related attitudes. Now, let me give you an illustration. I grew up right next to a bar. Literally, my mom's bedroom uh, wall was the wall that divided our house from the bar next door to where we grew up. They actually used to stack the empty bottles on the outside behind my mom's wall as people were finished finish drinking. And growing up, I learned a few things about, about the people that I saw there. And I'm not judging. My dad was an alcoholic, and I love him. Okay? But listen to this. I watched, as I played soccer outside on the street, I watched countless men leave that place without knowing where they were, without knowing their names, without knowing the direction they were supposed to go, without the ability to think clearly, without the ability to process information. But you know what? There was one thing that was common between all those men. They were all irrational. Every single one of them. Now, Peter is not talking about drinking here. But he's using a word that would express the idea, not from a legalistic perspective, but in, in, in a perspective of creating a new focus to be sober mentally. So here's a question for you. What clouds your judgment on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it the laundry room floor? Is it Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, just the internet? I wrote a list of things here in two minutes. I'm going to give you some of them. What about the friends you shouldn't have? What about entertainment, music, movies? What about this one? This list right here is really good. What about pornography, pride, anger, envy, jealousy? What about relationships, people, young people, people that you should not be dating? What about cars, books, possessions, bank account, aspirations, fashion, jobs, status, money, appearance, drinking, smoking, partying? Do you see? All these things, without, without judgment, they're toxic. And that is why you need to have sober thinking. God has given us a new goal. And in order to accomplish this new goal, you must develop a new mindset. And you must establish a new focus. And this is the transformation of the mind. Now, Peter's going to end this section with the transformation that needs to take place in your heart. So today we're dealing with a mindset and a heart set. All right, verses 14 to 16, he develops a new standard of conduct. You can see that on your notes. And the new standard means to become holy. What does it mean to be holy? The idea means simply to be set apart. In Peter, as he describes, we're going to see that 
to set apart, he's asking us to be set apart from sin into righteousness. We don't stop just doing something wrong, but we do something other. We establish a new pattern. And the question becomes, how do, how do we accomplish this? Well, you see on this verse 14, it says, by having a new lifestyle. And the new lifestyle is amazingly described as a father would describe the relationship between him and a child. He says, like obedient children, do not comply with the evil urges that you used to follow in your ignorance. So the question is, how do we do this? Well, children are born with specific traits from their parents, right? They, as they grow, I see my kids grow, and, and sometimes they look more like their mom, sometimes they look like me, and that's when I pray more to they, so they can look like their mom. And when they become, look like me again, I pray even harder. It's like God help them to be like their mom. So as a child, you reflect the, the pattern, the resemblance between you and your father, and that's exactly what Peter is describing here. Like obedient children, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to reflect that. But we reflect that by not complying, listen to this, by not complying with the evil urges that you followed to before Jesus. And then he says, in your ignorance. You're not, enemy, you're not enemies of God anymore. You don't walk in ignorance. Now you're in light. So to comply, just to give you a definition, it means to form one's behavior in accordance with a particular pattern or set of standards. Let me tell you this, the set of standards are high, very high, because they're God's standards, not mine. Culture does not dictate how you live. He does. We're often conformed to the greatest influence of the moment. Little children, they imitate their parents. And sometimes if you have a pet, which I don't, they might imitate the pet. If you have a cat, they might want to be just like the cat. I don't have animals, but I see my youngest daughter trying to be a cat sometimes and tries she wants to be a dog. And I'm like, well, where is this coming from? And then you grow up and you become a teenager. And then you try to be influenced by the kids that are around you. And then you grow up, and then guess what? You're trying to be influenced, and you're being influenced by the people around you. And then you become older than I am, and I've seen this in so many people as we minister overseas, that they get to their age of 60 and 70, and now they want to be teenagers again. <laughs> we are supposed to be modeled and fashioned and transformed by Him. Not by the 14-year-old girl who walks on the sidewalk with cute shoes. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Do you understand that? My daughters always come with dresses. They love shoes. I'm going to have to get a second job after, after they grow up for a few more years. But if I follow the pattern established by the world, then my life will reflect the world. Just like if I plant... An apple seed, I cannot expect to get oranges out of it. So if I follow him, then something needs to change in my life. And Peter says it needs to be your mind and it needs to be your heart. Now, 
You probably know this passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Peter, Paul says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we talk so many times in our Christian circles about not knowing what God's will is for us, right? I'm going to give you God's will for all of you today. Right here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, so that with the purpose that you may know, what? The will of God, which is good, acceptable, and and perfect. Now, let me illustrate something to you. When Peter talks about not being, not complying to the evil urges, I grew up overseas, and at the age of 16, I began to play basketball, okay? I did not have money to buy shoes, and at the age of 18, one parent from a guy who was on my team realized that I didn't have shoes, so he said, hey, I have two older pairs of shoes here. His son had just come to the States. Why don't you have it? They were used. So I took the shoes home. I, I grabbed a black marker, and I painted the front of it because they were black shoes, and I want the shoes just to look really nice. And when I put them on, they really hurt. They were size 11 and a half. But I wore them. I didn't have the money. It's either wearing them or wearing socks. And I'm like, yeah, 11 and a half sounds great. So three years after that, I come to Cedarville. And when I get to Cedarville, Cedarville gives me two pairs of shoes for every basketball season. So I go in there and I think, I'm going to be really comfortable here. I'm going to go 12 and a halves. And then my last year in Cedarville, I said, I'm going to be really comfortable. I'm going to go 13s. Now, you need to know this. When I came to college, I was 23 years old. My foot was not growing. Now I go to the store, and I buy size 14s. Now, here's the purpose. Here's, here's the idea. My shoe, my, my shoe size was 14 back when I was 18. I conformed my shoe to the reality surrounding it, or my foot with the reality surrounding it. And when you do that for as long as I did, it starts to get comfortable. And I'm just afraid that so many of us are conforming ourselves with the reality that's not the reality that God has for us. That we're just... We're trying to fit this mold that the world offer us that is not the freeing, liberating ability to be children of God and obey Him like obedient children would. So you need to know that transformation only happens when you adopt a new lifestyle. Now let me end this. You also have to follow a new pattern of truth. Verse 16 says, You shall be holy because I am holy. Peter's quoting directly Deuteronomy 11:44 here. Okay? This is a direct quote from what God said. And all because he is holy. It is said that 
In one of the battles that Alexander the Great fought, there was a soldier that went through a, a desertion process during the battle time, and he was called in. And when he came in before the emperor, Alexander the Great asked him, what is your name? And he said, Alexander, sir. And then he said this, listen to this. He sternly um, replies saying this to the soldier. Soldier, change your behavior or change your name. Change your behavior or change your name. I think that's what God is doing to us. I think that's what Peter is telling them. This is what I call the mirror mentality. If you go online and you type Mickey Mouse self-portrait, you will see a picture of Mickey Mouse drawing on a drawing board and on the other side across from him he's leaning towards there's a mirror and he sees himself but when you look at the drawing he is drawing Walt Disney his creator now I wonder if that's exactly what God wants us to do as we looked at ourselves and we draw our reflection we reflect the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the faithfulness that he is giving us. Now, I want to end this time today with a little bit um, different direction. And I'm going to give you homework. You take that bulletin with you. You look at those applications at home. But I came across a story, and I think this summarized our culture. And I want to finish our time today by reading you a few paragraphs of a story called The Paradox of Our Time. The paradox of our time in history is what we have, is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense. More knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, but more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry too quickly, stay up too late, get, get up too tired, read too little of God's word, watch TV too much, fast too rarely, give too little, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to the life, but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've split the atom, but not our prejudice. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We have higher incomes, but lower morals. We have more food, but less appeasement. We build more computers to hold more information, to produce more copies than ever, but have less communication. We've become long on quantity, but short on quality. These are the times of fast foods and slow digestion. 
tall man and shorter character, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the times of the world peace but domestic warfare, more leisure but less fun, more kinds of food but less nutrition. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one night stands, overweight bodies, and pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill. It is time, it is a time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stock room. Now, this is life without hope. And this is life without Jesus. I'm just too afraid that this reflect us. Because God wants us to be transformed in our thinking and in our hearts. And that's why he has already changed you and he calls you daughters and sons. And now he's asking you to hope fully in him in order to accomplish a new goal for your life, to develop a new mindset, to establish a new focus, to follow this new pattern that leads to a new lifestyle and a new truth. May the Lord help us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth and for your word. I pray that you will be honored, that you'll receive the glory for what we do and for what we say. And may we reflect to you, Father, the one who rescued us. In Jesus' name.